What's up, people? I'm Erica, and this is Cocktails and Capitalism, a podcast that pairs crafted beverages with stories distilled from our capitalist hellscape. We're joined by Sara Banura, a Palestinian organizer, artist, dancer, and journalist based in St. Louis, Missouri, after being born and raised in Bethlehem, Palestine. Sara has been organizing with the St. Louis Palestine Solidarity Committee, a coalition of local groups and individuals that are united in the struggle for freedom and equal rights for the people of Palestine. This committee just succeeded in pressuring the local board of elder people to pass a resolution calling for a ceasefire, which is fucking awesome. Cheers to you, Sara. <laughs> How are you Thank doing you. today? <laughs> I'm good. I'm, I'm glad we're starting a conversation with that. Starting with a win. I like it. <laughs> also Mm -hmm. cheers totally Ah, cheers yeah (laughs) i love it it again don't tell my parents i'm drinking this early (laughs) yeah it's 10 30 for me a.m oh (laughs) that's fine it's totally fine you are totally fine (laughs) yeah i mean we're in a time of crisis it's okay yeah. And that is one of the key things about the show. Like I a lot of the time just need a drink with the topics that we cover because uh, it's so heavy. But, yeah. Uh, we are drinking uh, a modified old fashioned um, because that is one of Sarah's go to drinks, right? It is. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. this like one of your favorite cocktails? I didn't realize I was going to become a whiskey gal, but slowly. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely don't like beer. Um, so cocktails have always been the go-to, and this is the one. And it's good, <laughs> dude. Me too. We seriously need to hang out. Like you're into whiskey. You're kind of gothy. <laughs> important direct action work. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just fucking love it. <laughs> uh, we're friends now. Is that what you're saying? I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Oh, well, that makes me so fucking happy, dude. <laughs> but I, yeah, let's let's just introduce you a little bit more for our listeners so that they know a little bit more about you. Like, what did I miss? Yeah, what can you what can you tell folks about your background that um that I missed in in the intro? Um, you said it all. <laughs> I think. Um... <laughs> I, uh, the art it, it's it's this is an, a weird time for me I um I am an artist but like I haven't really been painting you know I used to be a dancer I'm not dancing anymore um yeah and and life just doesn't look the same as it did before October 7 period like there's I was in a different world you know, working toward different goals and yeah. in different spaces. And so much has changed, even like even relationships. A lot of my relationships don't look the same anymore. So, um, mm, but it is, yeah. it is still true. I am all of these things. Um, like all of us, we're complicated. Yeah. Um, but the Palestinian identity is definitely... Um, it's I'm um, I'm Palestinian in all of these spaces, and and being Palestinian has influenced all of these things that I that I did and I'm doing and will be doing. It was difficult when I first moved to the U.S. because I had like that sense of guilt 
for leaving home. But I can tell you a little bit. We can I can go back a little bit and tell you when I moved to the U.S. and what that was like. Yeah, let's just go into it. Let's. I mean, my next question was going to just be about the fact that you were born and raised in Palestine, and mm-hmm. like just hearing a little bit about your relationship with Palestine and what it was like to grow up there. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's just start. Let's just start there. <laughs> start from the beginning. <laughs> Um, so I was born in Bethlehem, the um, land of Jesus. I'm, uh, I was born into a Christian family where Christians are a minority in Palestine, where less than 1% of the population. It didn't always used to be like this, but the occupation does a good job at pushing people away. Constant oppression and aggression and discrimination and control. Um, my father is a, is, a, is a scholar. He's brilliant, brilliant man, very inspiring, very strong. And at a very young age, he encouraged me to use my, to use a pen as, as a weapon instead of um, being loud in the street. And he even dedicated a whole like, shelf in his library for books that were appropriate to my age at the time. Um, you know, literature, history, wow. learning about Palestine and, and, and resistance in, in, yeah, through the arts, you know. And, and I don't think we've mentioned that your, your dad is a, a Palestinian Christian pastor, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cool. I'm a minority of the minority. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, definitely grew up in a Christian household. And my father, I learned a lot from him. And he he was key to me getting on this path of storytelling, right? And, and journalism, because um, he exposed me to literature and into using stories to influence change right I mean you can't you really have to touch people's hearts to inspire them um, because you really got to get to their values and principles to actually expect them to change something right like because you can tell people you know there's a war going on there's an occupation okay but if you if you say it in a way that reaches their values um, and that happens through storytelling. Then when you move them, then and they believe it, right? They feel it. Then they'll be actually moved to take action about it. And that's why I chose journalism, because I thought I, I was meant to tell the story of my people. Yeah, so I grew up Christian in Bethlehem. One of my um, earliest memories of the occupation was actually during the Second Intifada. I was uh, I was six at the time, and my our neighborhood is usually loud. Um, everybody knows everybody. You know, kids are always playing in the street, um, and people are drinking tea together, coffee, um, playing cards. My neighborhood was always just so lively, but during the Intifada, as as a six year old, I I didn't really understand what was going on, but the neighborhood was different. It was quiet and nobody was in the street. 
and the only thing you can hear is um, Israeli soldiers on a PA system saying this neighborhood is under curfew. Yeah, and it's uh, one one night I um I, I heard I heard it I like it sounded close and it, it was it was down the street from my house and I snuck out on the porch. I wanted to see why mm-hmm. I was so quiet yeah. and and who was what was going on, and I just saw a tank. I saw a tank driving down the like coming down the street, and you know a soldier hanging out from the top with a with a with a gun. And so it's just a dark, you know, it's it's nighttime, no soul on the street, just this tank and, you know, the, the orange street light and the, and the, the sound of the tank and their voice saying, this is under curfew, you're not allowed to step outside. And then my father eventually mm-hmm. realized that I was, that I wasn't inside and, and he, he, he mm-hmm. came running to outside to the porch, grabbed me, pulled me inside and he was so scared oh my God. telling me what are you doing you know you need to be in here and I, I didn't understand what was going on I'm sick but him being scared yeah. scared me and a few minutes later we heard a gunshot and I I, I found my way to a window and I and I looked to see what was going on and they um they had shot my neighbor and there was uh, a loaf of bread next to him on the ground he had left his house, went down to the bakery down the street to get some bread for his family, and they shot him. So that that's when people ask, "Oh, what's what's like a childhood memory?" That's one of the first memories that come to my mind. Is the first time I saw wow. somebody who I is my neighbor. I saw him in the street. I played with his kids. With a loaf of bread. Yeah. And uh oh my God. <laughs> yeah, my my parents were, you know, trying to protect us, but there's only so much you can do as a parent. That that's I mean, I'm I'm twenty eight now and that memories that and many others, you know, are are, are still in there. It's traumatic, <laughs> you know, it's trauma. Um Yeah. And then at nine, I think was when was the first time my father encouraged me to talk to a soldier. Um, my mom is from uh, Janine; it's wow. the northern part of the West Bank, and we're from my dad's from the Bethlehem region, so a little more central, southern. And um, back mm-hmm. in the day, when my parents met, it used to take them like three hours to go from Bethlehem to where my mom is from to her village. But now with the wall, with checkpoints, with roadblocks, it would take us hours, like we're talking eight, 10, 12 hours for oh folks to, to to get from one place to another because of all these checkpoints, because of all the settlements that are everywhere in the West these Bank. places that are so close. So close. But... but um, and I was I was nine at some point, and we were we were coming back from my my mom's village, and I had school the next day, and it was late. We were just waiting at this checkpoint. I really needed to go to the bathroom, and um, 
And I kept asking my parents, what is going on? Why is this happening? Like, can we go home? I need to use the bathroom. I don't want to pee behind a bush, you know, with hundreds of cars parked behind us and all these people. Like, it, I, I was just I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> What's happening? And and I'm, 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 I'm understanding it more now that parents run out of words to say to their children, what do you say? What do you say to a child who's just asking you, why is this happening to us, you know? Um, and eventually my dad said, why don't you just go talk to the soldier? <laughs> and, 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 and I did. I, I walked up to a soldier. Wow. My mom started walking with me, but eventually she let me go and, and I, I went alone. I approached the soldier and, and it was cold and he was nice to me. He asked me if I wanted a blanket because he saw that I was shivering and he even asked if I wanted hot chocolate um, and asked me what I wanted. And I, and I said, yeah. And I said, you know, I, I'm just wondering when we're going to go home. I have school tomorrow and it's really late. And I got it. Like I was just like this innocent nine year old, like just wanting simple things, you know? And a little bit later there was this uh, like military vehicle parked behind him while we were having this conversation, that vehicle pulled forward. And as it did, I saw what was behind it. And it was 10 Palestinian men, almost naked on the, on the ground, you know, stomach down on the ground, face down. And their eyes were, were, they were blindfolded. Their arms were behind their backs, tied up. And there were a handful of soldiers just circling around them with their guns pointed at them. So I'm talking with this soldier, telling him that I just want to go home, and I'm asking why we're what's going on, and he's offering me a, a a blanket and hot chocolate, and then this vehicle moves forward, and then I see my people humiliated, you know, and just young men. Oh my god! And I I, I froze. What like you're being nice to me, but look at what you're fellow soldiers are doing my people and yeah yeah when now uh, when the when the when when i saw that eventually like i i i i turned back and i looked at my mom and i, and I eventually just walked back to her that was my first time in like interacting with a soldier um the second time was worse <laughs> i was 12 the second time um, so in, 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 in the West Bank, um, to cross to Jerusalem and to the land that Israel has occupied, you need to get a permit as a Palestinian. I can't just go to Jerusalem if I want to, to get a permit, you need to have an ID yeah. to have an ID. You need to be 16. And at 12, my, um, my mom had the day off and we were planning to have like a daughter mother day mother daughter day in uh in jerusalem we wanted to go to the old town you know visit um all the shops and and um yeah they used to frequent jerusalem more often you know before the before the wall before all these checkpoints my family did my brother even went to high school there um so jerusalem was going there was part of you know it, it was our land and and I was excited to spend the day with mom, you know, and and mm -hmm. we went to that to the checkpoint that day. It's called uh, 
checkpoint 300 in Bethlehem. It's the the main one in that area. And it's um it's it's like cages, you know, there's you go through it and then there's um security kind of like airport security where you have to take your jacket off, your shoes, your belt and like put your st- stuff on like a little belt that goes, you know, through screening. It's it's just like airport security. Um you do that and then you get patted down and eventually you um meet the soldiers who and like uh give them your paperwork. So we got to that point, mom gave them her ID, her permit, and the way it works back home on um every parent's ID, there's like a piece of paper in there that says their children's names. So my name was on my mom's ID. And it all checked. She had her ID, she had her permit, um and you know, we're everything we're supposed to have everything we need. But then the soldier looked at me. He looks at me and he asks me for my ID and my permit. And I say, I'm not 16 yet. I don't have an ID. Therefore, <laughs> I don't have a permit. He insisted. He kept asking for my paperwork. And I, again, repeated myself. I don't have it. Here's my mom. My name is on her ID. She's got a permit. I let us through. And eventually, he looked at yeah. me straight in the eye saying, we are the gods of this land, and you are our slave. If I tell you what? you can't pass, you can't pass. I was 12 with my mom, wanting to have a mother-daughter day in Jerusalem. And this soldier, I don't know, 18, white, blue eyes, blonde hair, looking at me saying, he is the god of this land, and I'm his slave. Oh, my God. That is and, and, horrific. Oh, my God. And it's not like, you know, like we we didn't know everything we were supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And then I, I just started crying and, and banging on my mom's body like, what? Why? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's systemic, right? It's part of a strategy to make it ingrained in us that the, that we are less, you know, that yeah, we're not we're not worthy, we're not equal, or we're just less because of yeah, who we are, you know. No twelve year old should hear that. No six-year-old should see their neighbor getting shot for buying bread for their family. It's, uh, yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was, that was, that was growing up in Palestine. You know, it's, um, there's uh, moments like that when, when you're face to face with the occupation, with the occupier. And mm-hmm. um, other days you're affected by them in in other ways, like um, them cutting off electricity for days, shutting off water for days. Um, you know, I, I'm missing school because they would just block the roads and I can't travel from my home to my school mm-hmm. to go. Like, you know, it, it's so even if even if not at checkpoints, not directly with soldiers, they're they, they're still infiltrating every aspect of our lives. 
Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of memories of like asking my father, you know, he'll be driving and past checkpoints and, you know, just growing up and like seeing the wall and then started to think critically, like, wait, what's going on? Why is this? Yeah. Yeah. Why is this the way it is? Why is this normal? Is this normal? <laughs> you know, you grew up with it. You just start thinking, oh, well, we live under occupation. You know, this is just what it is. As a 12-year-old, when you hear these words, what was the reaction inside of you? Were you filled with, like, despair? Were you filled with rage? Did you feel, like, a sense of injustice? Like, what What was that? How did you process that? I don't... I don't know if I knew at the time, you know, yeah, to like identify, but all of that, <laughs> I know, I know that I felt angry and, 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 and confused. I just didn't understand why it was happening and why the words that were said to me were said to me. It gets to you, you know, it's not a, it's not a simple thing to hear, you know, that stays with you and it, yeah. and, it, it like it's there oh it's it's kind of like a justification oh this is happening to us because we're you know just what we are we're <laughs> disposable like that you know and yeah yeah that is unfathomable to think of like processing that kind of processing an adult telling you that when you are a child like i I don't know what I would do in that moment. Uh, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so sorry. It is the reality. If, if, yeah, this is the reality of the occupation period since its existence. That's what they've been doing. Try to, you know, they're stealing our land, taking our homes, taking over our culture. They're pushing us out by these tactics you know whether whether it's verbal using words like that or physical like having checkpoints and roadblocks making your life miserable of course a lot of people are going to end up leaving you know but yeah. like what how do you how do you how do you how do you have a, a good healthy happy life under occupation when you're constantly mm -hmm. being oppressed and mistreated and dehumanized and by them constantly taking our land and building more settlements, we're, we have less and less land now. And it breaks my heart when I go to Palestine now, but because Israel keeps taking our land, we don't have as much farmland. And that's a like, yeah. big part of who we are, you know, our connection to the land and our olive groves. Mm -hmm. It really breaks my heart every time I go home and I just, it's. Yeah. I. I really hope that what you see when you have gone home is so different from the future of what Palestine is going to look like because occupations, empires, they all will fail eventually. And I, I do have a lot of hope about a glorious future for Palestine. I, I have, I have so much hope that what is happening now, that there is going to be a change, but I, I'm just so sorry. Like I can't, I can't fathom growing up like that. That is insane. That is so wrong. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's it's, and the big problem is a lot of people don't know, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm hoping that this moment in history will 
will do it will open people's eyes and not just open them you know it's like there's a difference between waking up and getting out of bed you know waking up you just open your eyes but you're still in bed I don't want just people's eyes to be opened I want them to get up and do something you know with everything they're seeing and they're learning to mirror what you were saying hopefully this 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 moment in time in history will will get us somewhere better we can't go back to the way things were yeah yeah i mean i really want to let people see the raw reality of how these things cuz you don't get that in the news you know you don't you don't hear the emotions no, and hear the heart you just hear like the stats and then that's like so dehumanizing as well. So mm-hmm. I feel like this is so important, even though it might feel weird to put that out there. I think it's really, really fucking important. I'm on a mission to like normalize being real, being vulnerable, being like, this is important. People need to hear like, yeah, <laughs> I can cry on camera and people can see it. This is the truth. This is my, this is the truth of not just me, you know, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians all around the world who are. Yeah. And, and we don't hear that. We don't hear the mourning. No. And I really do appreciate it. I think it's really, really, I mean, it's, it's powerful for reaching people. So we've talked a little bit about your background in Palestine. So I'm wondering what happened after this and how you got involved in the St. Louis Palestine Solidarity Committee? Yeah, I never, I, I didn't see this coming being in the space I'm in right now. I, um, a couple of years after 2014, after that, I was introduced to the St. Louis Palestine Solidarity Committee. So like eight years ago. And I was still going to going to school, you know, going to college for journalism. I was a little bit active with the committee, you know, going to school for journalism. I, I was taught that I needed to be unbiased, right? Not have an opinion yeah. aside, you know, you have to be neutral. Yeah. And I had to do that. So I had to take a step back from um, organizing and being involved. Um, And I worked for the CBS affiliate here in St. Louis for five years. I was a a senior digital producer there. So (laughs) last year, um, I think it was May of 2023, I left mainstream media after months of back and forth. I was um, working on a project I was so passionate about. I believed in it and it had great potential. But it, um, bottom line is it, it, the, the project, my pitch wasn't going to make the money because I needed help. I was producing, directing, interviewing, writing, researching a whole documentary wow. on wow. Um, the impact of low access to healthy food in St. Louis and how it creates wow. nearly a 20-year difference in life expectancy between two different like zip codes. What? I oh believed in the project. I had worked on it for months, you know, research and interviewing, and I had like 40 minutes of this documentary. But the way I... Uh, my my approach was um, was a little too much for them, 
And I went to journalism Mm. to tell stories that would bring about actual change that would inspire and empower people for um, more impact. You know, I I did. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Obviously, can you tell that I'm very passionate about this? (laughs) But um, Maybe a little. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, so I left in May. It was it was difficult. I've been repeating this line. I, I've been saying if I didn't leave in May, I would have I would have left in October. The way the media has been covering what's going on right now is honestly a crime to journalism, a crime to yeah. humanity. That is, journalists are we're supposed to help people understand what's going on. But right now, the media is actively choosing to omit critical information that shapes the reality that's um, killing people by the hundreds every day. The last functioning hospital is being attacked. There's only six ambulances that are working. This is what you do as a journalist. This, This is what you're supposed to be doing, telling the world what's going on, especially here, especially U.S. media, considering how the U.S. government continues to abuse its veto power every time the United Nations, which was uh, created to prevent catastrophes like the one we're going through right now. Every time they say and tell the world, okay, Israel, you have to stop. Right. And that's all they're saying. It's the cease to the fire. Right. It's the stop to the bombing. They're not telling them to end the occupation, to give us all the land from the river to the sea. We want all of that. But that's not even what they're asking. They're just saying, stop. How is it still going on? If journalism is doing what it's supposed to be doing, we would not be here. (sighs) No one can see everything we've been seeing. And not be enraged like I am right now. Yeah. So I definitely would have quit in October. And I'm trying to to find my place to figure out what I can do now. Being involved with the St. Louis Palestine Solidarity Committee. I don't have the chains of mainstream media on me anymore. Mm. I can use my voice. I can let you know what I think and what my opinion is. Mm -hmm. It's like they don't want, you know, they don't want the world to know that Palestinians exist and that we are the same as you are. Right. They don't they don't they don't humanize us. They dehumanize us at every chance possible. Our oppressor wants the rest of the world to also see us as less calling us human animals. Yeah. And again, let's remember that they did not this did not happen. On October, like this didn't start in October. No. And I don't know why there hasn't been enough conversation about the March of Return, Mm. you know, the great March of Return. When the people of Gaza have been peacefully protesting the siege for a year and a half, and Israel was killing them, shooting some of them in the eye, blinding people. Yeah. They were demanding an end to the siege. While they're peacefully protesting, yeah, yeah, just gunning people down who are marching along along the wall there. At that, 
that needs to be everyone needs to know about that because no people have been peacefully protesting people have been trying things for decades for generations they have been mm-hmm. trying things and no the the occupation continues the genocide continues for decades like most of a century so yeah i'm sorry just that that one part is so fucking important that you brought up yes yeah. that's that's historical context that mainstream media is not providing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly and and keeping that away from the public from the narrative is is dangerous mm-hmm. to our people because we're constantly being reminded you know we we just published a, a video on the St. Louis Palestine Solidarity Committee it's it's of this um it's like 70 feet I think it's now longer it's a, a banner with the names of the children mm-hmm. um that Israel has killed oh, wow. for for months now um, you know, dozens of, of local artists and allies have been writing the name wow. of the children. Mm-hmm. And we, we put that on Instagram. And then these people are commenting like, what, did you forget about the hostages? Oh, my God. Yeah. Ugh. No. So that means thousands of children need to die. Yeah. One of my best friends just got a tattoo of a, of a, of a Palestinian boy who died before he got his death certificate, before he got his birth certificate. Mm, mm. He was just born. Oh, God. That's and so the hostage, I understand, I understand the hostage situation, but it's like they they keep using, you know, recycled talking points that to, to justify the ongoing slaughter of my people. Yeah, yeah. Children, mothers, fathers, who are the men of Palestine, you know, they're doing everything they can. You know, they're trying to save people from under the rubble with no equipment. They're doing yeah. surgeries with no medication. How, how do you hear that and know about that and still say, oh, but they raped women and children and that was debunked? What the fuck? It's the same, the same things. And, and like, we're here. It's way worse right now. You can't keep doing that to justify. But what, wait, where are the storytellers, right? The people who are reporting on this. It's their job to, to, to make this make sense for people. You know, like, we just passed a ceasefire resolution here in the city. But at, at the state level, they're introducing resolutions that are pro-Israel and completely just erasing Palestinian culture and identity and, and calling all of us a terrorist. Yeah, yeah. How is that still happening? How, how are people writing this stuff? It's because the journalists who are supposed to, you know, who are telling us what's happening in the world, who are supposed to give us all the information we need to, to know so we can make, you know, an educated decision, an educated opinion. If you don't have that information, of course you're not going to think we're that that this started before October seventh. Yeah. You know? Oh my God! I'm proud of St. Louis and of us organizing here for for the ceasefire resolution. That was we spent weeks mobilizing. You know, organizing around this nonstop. It's been like a full time job. Mm, you yeah. know, and and it and it passed, and again, it's just the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's so much more that needs to happen, and we're not even asking for that yet. You know. Yeah, yeah. 
you're making such a a simple request, just stop the slaughter. And that isn't even, it's not even a radical request at all. It is so fucking fundamental and just basic human, you know, like if there's any humanity in people that are making decisions about this, they need to fucking stop, but they don't listen. And I think about how like right now, the International Court of Justice, the South Africa case against Israel, try, trying to hold them accountable for genocide. In the US, we don't even see the part of that where they are talking about Israel's crimes. We, they, we don't even see the the like laying out of all of the evidence to show that Israel and and by proxy the US is committing genocide. Instead, they just show Israel's defense on US news stations. Like we aren't even you have to go to YouTube, you have to go to some weird fucking channel or to Al Jazeera or something to find these things even broadcasted in the US. That is so fucked up right now when we need to like yeah like you're saying if journalism was doing what journalism is supposed to do in this instance there would be mass mass dissent about and there there already is but everyone would be appalled but so many people aren't even given the reality it is fucking criminal Ugh, i'm so sorry and i'm i'm so i'm so impressed by you for for diving into journalism, for diving into trying to share share your story, share the truth, when that is so fucking important, when people are dying, when your people are dying, and and I know that you are also mourning and going through so much, and the fact that you are in this moment doing so much to stop what is happening and using your voice in such a beautiful fucking way, I I'm just just want to commend you because that isn't that isn't easy and it is huge what you're doing Thank you. It's exhausting. i'm so sorry you have to i'm so sorry yeah. <laughs> I, guess I can't believe we'll have to just you know yeah and we have to you know it's people are people are not those who have been with us have been with us and everybody else they're not getting out of their way to seek information you know yeah so we have to be like constantly educating and having these conversations and like when yeah. when we were working with the board of elder people here to get a ceasefire resolution you know one of one of the biggest thing was this is not a local issue Mm-hmm. Why is why is the city getting involved? Why should the city like this is foreign policy? You know this is whatever. <sighs> God. And 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 that was another thing, right? Education. And I, I I hope that everybody by now in the country knows how much the U.S. sends to Israel. It's like they. Mm-hmm. So does that not mean anything to you? So one of the biggest things that we've been trying to do here in St. Louis is is is, is localize the issue, right? And show them how it's local. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The money yeah. that, that we're sending in Missouri here, we have Boeing, they make F-15s, they make the JDAM bombs, 
So, like, it, the bo- these bombs that are, again, being used <laughs> on my people, children, in all their neighborhoods, their schools, their bakeries, everything is just... <laughs> and those bombs were made here. Just right there on, I'm in Central County. Yeah. And then you tell me it's not local? We have a company here in St. Louis that makes white phosphorus. You tell me this is not a local issue? They're literally making it right here and sending it to Israel to use on my people. And what about all the Palestinians living in St. Louis? I, Speaking of this genocide, you were recently quoted saying this may seem like it's happening far, far away, but it's being funded by the U.S. and that's money and weaponry. And, you know, I think that is so important. It's even though people will try to paint this as a, you know, this is an international issue. This is a distant issue. No, we are deeply, intricately connected with it wherever we are in the U.S. There are companies in your back fucking yard that are producing the weaponry that is killing, that is genociding the Palestinian people. Like that is, I'm so glad that you are looking locally at the different industries mm-hmm. and the different complicity in in what is happening um, that you find in your community. That is, it's so fucking important. Um, but yeah, you, I was just wondering if you want to say anything more about that, um, you know, working locally. Yeah, um, it's one of the, actually one of the most recent posts we made on the Palestine Solidarity Committee talks about like if if the war were here, the city of Maplewood in St. Louis County would all be dead right now. You know, so we're, we're trying to put it in a local, like, look at it. Look, if, if this was here, here's yeah. what it would look like. Yeah. This many thousand children would be out of all of these school districts, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is uh, taxpayer money. The money we send to Israel could provide public housing for 600 households in St. Louis. And it's freezing cold right now. And we have so many people on the street unhoused. And we could be providing (laughs) homes to them. Mm -hmm. But instead, we're dedicating that money to military funding to help Israel do what? Steal land? Kill indigenous people? while weaponizing religion. Oh God. Yeah. So a key part of our campaign with the, with the board of older people was pointing all of that out. You know, like if you're claiming if it's not, it's not a local issue, then maybe let's keep our money here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's yeah, a foreign yeah, yeah. policy. It's happening over there. Okay. Totally. We don't want our money going there. Yeah. It's not our problem. Let's keep our money here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Let's divest from war and instead invest in our people yeah. in our communities mm-hmm. and working in news i know the reality of things our crime rates our poverty rates mm-hmm. the unhoused food insecurity yeah. there's so much that we need to work on locally you don't want to pass a ceasefire resolution because this is a foreign problem then let's keep that money here and focus on our community and not fund this war machine yeah right yeah. Mm-hmm. And if Boeing wants to make bombs and, and fighter jets, um, that's, you know, a 
okay, but can we like maybe um, develop some restrictions, at least not to provide weapons to a state that violates human rights? Maybe. God, maybe. (laughs) You tell me this is not a local issue, but we produce these bombs here and then we send them to an occupier, an oppressor, Mm -hmm. a racist state. (laughs) Yeah, an ethno state. (laughs) That's committing terror right now on my people. Yeah. So, yeah. no, I, this, this whole, it's not local. It's not a problem. Um, uh, argument is, um, a hundred percent invalid. <laughs> and if totally. somebody wants to talk about it, I'm more than happy to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is a great point to kind of dive a little bit more deeply into talking about some of the local actions that you have taken and your your local work with the St. Louis Palestine Solidarity Committee. Um, You folks just recently had this victory that you've been celebrating um, after pressuring the board of Alder People to pass a resolution calling on Biden to demand a ceasefire. That is incredible that you folks were able to do that. And I'm I'm so amazed by you and the hard work that you've been doing. You know, probably a lot of like, you know, sleepless nights. <laughs> yeah, ex- you must be so yeah. exhausted now. But um, I'd love to hear you talk about that a bit. Yeah, it was um, a collective effort. Um, the Palestine Solidarity Committee. We've been in touch with the um, president of the board of older people and they they had introduced their resolution earlier um, I think it was in October somebody introduced a resolution and it was we stand with Israel and we actually went to City Hall the day that that resolution was being introduced and we made some noise because <laughs> that language was unacceptable yeah fuck that and after that, we had um, we got our, our heads together um, and figured out a strategy to get better language in the resolution. And we worked with um, the elderman who introduced it on um, figuring out how to localize it, right? Because again, that was that was the opposition, right? This is not a local issue. Mm-hmm. So we we try to make it as local as possible, even mentioning um, Ferguson. Um, and let's keep in mind that Corey is from here, mm, right? And yeah. Corey is leading the congressional call for a ceasefire. Um, so it just didn't make sense to us that St. Louis City was not backing Corey. Mm-hmm. So really, we we it was it's important for us, especially now that somebody is going up against. Corey, mm-hmm. and they're against a ceasefire. Anyway, um, it was it was a lot of work, um, and I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've never really organized in this space um, because of the, the chains I had on me from mainstream media. But it was important for us to equip people with the tools they needed to do this. You know, because mm-hmm. we we've seen we've. We've seen so many like calls to sign petitions and call yeah. your rep and yeah. like send emails, but th- this work is is hard and it can be intimidating for folks. So we developed a toolkit with um, contact information for older people, with um, sample scripts for calling, emailing, 
and with some talking points and a little bit of background um, and about Corey's, you know, national call for this. It was like 12 pages. <laughs> it was beautiful. And wow. we mobilized. We had, um, yeah, we had like virtual power hours where um, collectively people, you know, were joining us uh, virtually and just calling and emailing their reps that, you know, or their older people at the same time. Um, we canvassed some neighborhoods. And it was like every day, um, you know, so many people volunteered so many hours, so much energy into this campaign. And actually the day it passed um, was just a, a few days ago and I wasn't in town. I missed it. I, I had to fly to, um, to the West Coast. And but like I seeing the pictures and getting like the videos from them at the like the meeting and all of them saying, Yay, yay, like that yes, they support it. I I like I had tears in my eyes. I was just like so happy because and I even told my um my my partner who was traveling with me, I told them I feel like I can breathe for the first time in weeks because it was it was really just like non nonstop and, and, and at first we only thought we were gonna have eight elder people say yes. Wow. And we had even like a single one. We got (laughs) amazing. We got and we thought we had eight. We got twelve yeses, no no's. The other two just said staying. One of them even like walked out of the room, which is like, okay, buddy, like we just saw that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm storming out. Yeah. Um, All right. We'll remember that. Beautiful. (laughs) Yes. It, it was beautiful. Um, yeah, by the time we landed and like we turned our phones back on, I had like a hundred plus messages, you know, wow, um, yeah. saying that it passed and all these photos and videos and everybody saying like, see, this is the power of community when we come together oh and God. mobilize. It was just, yeah, it was, I I felt joy that I had, hadn't felt since before October 7th. And it was, um, wow. it was beautiful. And um it's very important, you know, and it it was important on so many different levels. One, again, this is the home of Cori Bush, the city, Mm -hmm. and hopefully now the county is going to follow suit, need to back her. Mm -hmm. And also for us, you know, um, organizers, people behind the scene who like, I'm, I'm slacking on paid work stuff because I, I have to organize, you know, I have, we have yeah, to do this because yeah. if we're not, nobody, you know, nobody else is, you know, we have to do this. Yeah. And it was important for us to win because so many of us have spent like so much time, you know, and energy and like, like, you know, protesting in the street is great and making noise is great. It's nice to be around community and to shout in unison, you know, that is empowering and healing, but it's been three months and it's still yeah. going on. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. You know, and people are asking, well, well, what does it matter if the city passes a ceasefire resolution? Like, what's what's that going to do? If our city and your city and their city and every city, the government can't keep turning a blind eye to this. If everybody is saying this needs to stop, Joe Biden and the U.S. government can't remain silent. They can't ignore us anymore. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's like that saying when, um, it's like a meme. It's like a thing when you say, oh, I can't do this, you know, said a million people, you know, whatever. Um, and and, mm-hmm. and yeah. <laughs> I, people need to know that this is the time to find the courage yeah. 
to stop thinking that way and to say, you know what, if there is a time where my voice is needed, my action is needed, my realignment, you know, realigning with your life, your values, how you operate, who you're working with, who you're working for, you know, what you're producing with your time, with your skills. This is the time to rethink <laughs> your life. Yeah. You know, now we're out in the yeah. street with people who um share our values they share our principles right they are in the fight for collective liberation this is the time for us to organize and come together and, and, and build better systems so we can dismantle all of the oppressive systems all around the world you know this mm -hmm. i i know that you and i are on the same side and people are different and yeah. you know differences will always be respected but at least we know that we're fighting for liberation, we're fighting for justice, we're fighting for life, for dignity, for humanity, and everybody else who is privileged to the point they continue to choose to be silent and to be blind, although we're shouting, you know, in every possible way, we're showing them everything that's happening, but they're meh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Not my concern. Yeah. It has nothing to do with me. This is politics. That's so far and foreign. And um, we, the people, put elected, right? We put, we elect the elected officials that are in office. We put elected officials in office. We, the people, can hold them accountable. We have the power to do that. And I'm really hoping that this moment in time, this moment in history, awakens people to, you know, you know to uh, mobilize, to come together, to build better systems, yeah. to say no to oppression, to say no to living in a nine to five machine that's only making some CEO richer and you're just a poor working class, right? It's not just the working class now. It's we're mm -hmm. poorer and poorer and and more and more oppressed. Yeah. And this is this is definitely the time of realignment. And and I was debating, I was I was working on this post I was gonna make on New Year's, you know, for a New Year's resolution and and I was gonna say the only resolution really is a grassroots revolution. I really believe that. You know, this is the time where we dismantle all that shit all those chains, you know, in, in, in Palestine and everywhere else, even in our homes and our jobs and our communities and our churches and our synagogues. This is the time to fight for something better. Absolutely. The resolution was a great win, you know, but that's just, again, that's so simple. It's, it's just a cease, a cease to the fire. Um, but I'm hoping it, it opens the door, the door to more work so we can put restrictions mm -hmm. on, companies producing white phosphorus and companies making bombs, you know, so we can maybe divest, right? Stop sending millions yeah. of dollars to a foreign country that's like slaughtering people by the thousands right now. We can keep yeah. that money here and we can keep the Palestinians who live here safe. You know, that was part of the opposition, a Zionist group here in St. Louis where we're reaching out to the Board of Aldermen um, in opposition of the ceasefire resolution. They wanted to add the line, mm -hmm. we condemn Hamas in there. 
<laughs> and one of the their talking points was um, the Jewish community is going to feel unsafe if this resolution passes. Jesus Christ. One, you're speaking on behalf of the Jewish community, which being Jewish, you know, following that faith is one thing. And being a Zionist is another thing, right? Don't use, don't use religion as a weapon. Stop doing that. Number two, I am less safe than any of y'all. Me, walking in the street with my kafia, with my skin color, with my black long hair. I am in danger more than you. Whoever you are, yeah. that you yeah. think you're going to be in danger once we, once the city calls for a ceasefire. And again, calling for a ceasefire is not a controversial act. <laughs> How is that going to make you feel unsafe? Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. People talk about the Jewish community as like this hyper marginalized community, but it is so like accepted by and protected by Western dominant powers that it is no longer really a a, a marginalized community. Uh, that being said, the actions of the Israeli government are definitely endangering the Jewish people as well as the Palestinian people because Absolutely. they are now associating the crimes of the Israeli government with Jewish people in general, which Jewish people do not want explicitly. So many people no. stating that, you know? No. It's absolutely right. And I was this this past weekend, you know, I, I was out of town. I was surrounded by by Jewish people who um are are for Palestine, are anti Zionist, they are anti the Israeli war machine. You know, so so Israel continuing to weaponize uh Judaism is a crime against Jewish people with dignity, yes, right? <laughs> Totally. Absolutely. And, and my my friend who I was traveling with this weekend is Jewish and we have a beautiful relationship. I love that. Mm. You know, I don't have a problem That's with awesome. your religion. I don't care what you believe in. I yeah. just care how you move, how you act, your politics. <laughs> right? Yeah, I love that. How you move, how you act. That is so much more important. <laughs> uh. Your values, your principles, your words. How you show up for the people that in your life and, and or how you don't show up for those people. That's what matters. Yeah. In addition to being involved in this recent effort, the successful effort to pressure the board of older people to um, pressure Biden to call for a ceasefire, you have also been involved in some local actions um, around the Boeing facility in St. Louis. So on December 11th, actions were taken that shut down the Boeing facility in St. Louis, which which supplies weapons that are used in the ongoing genocide of Palestinians. Can you talk at all about what went down? Anything that you're able to share? <laughs> I actually got it on camera as we were approaching the gate. They were like letting some cars out and then they like rushed to close the gate as we were getting there. That was oh, cool God. to get on camera. <laughs> Um, so Boeing is a big, big, big company here in St. Louis, you know, thousands of people work for them. Um, you know, that brings in lots of revenue and Boeing also makes, you know, commercial planes. So it's like, you know, it's Boeing. We fly in their planes all the time. 
Um, but they also have a, they have a, you know, they have a military section and, um, in October, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm, yep. In October, they, um, rushed the delivery of this kit that turns dumb bombs into smart bombs. Um, but, but it's, it's made here in our backyard and, um, you know, we, we published this uh, article, this opinion piece about it, saying that that building where we blocked the gates, that's perhaps the deadliest building in Missouri. Um, we have nearly 30,000 people killed in Gaza, and that's by weapons, by bombs, aircraft, manufactured here, literally in our backyard. And maybe, you know, we, we disrupted the, the entrance to the gate. You know, we stopped some employees from going to work. But we're doing this to bring awareness to the thousands of, of people who are living here and don't know. Where they, they don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if they, yeah. they do they think of, of, of Boeing making bombs using genocide? You know, the perception is, oh, it's Boeing. It's a big, you know company with lots of money employer. and my cousin works there you know yeah. right and it's an employer yeah. right and and we fly in their commercial planes and like la di da but but the, but the, but it, it's really about awareness and education and um mm-hmm. letting residents know what these companies do right like you could do a good thing but you're also doing a horrible thing it's a crime yeah. like you're you're yeah. Um, supplying a murderer with its weapon, you know, like yeah, yeah. These companies funnel so much money to um, our education system, right? To our schools and universities, you know, they give them all this money, and then they get all these students to go and all these engineers to work for them. So it's like. It's a big, giant monster that we slowly have to to break down and dismantle. And um, it's again, it's it's important to do these actions, even though they're just this, you know, it's just a one day disruption. It's important to do it because it's an opportunity to educate, right? It's an opportunity to bring awareness to what's what's being produced inside that ugly building. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, people are not going to know, you know. And um, yeah organizing right now being in the in this moment we really have to approach everything from a you know diverse set of tactics um you know working with the board of older people passing a resolution is is one thing but also just disrupting um you know even like going out on on a caravans and um you know blocking traffic full up for a little bit that's also good because we people are forgetting when there was like that that short pause it was around um thanksgiving right on black friday yeah yeah uh-huh we we live in a very ind- individualistic um society where you know people get distracted with certain things built in um, our system you know and it, it, we go through trends and seasons and um and and people forget there's a genocide but our our culture our um this world we live in it's easy for that for us to just like i'm gonna go on with my life now you know (laughs) 
everything's, yeah. you know, yeah. not my concern. I'm just me and, you know. So, so even caravans are important because we need to keep the conversation going. You cannot stop um, thinking and talking about what's going on in Palestine as long as the war is still happening, as long as the occupier is, is killing us by the thousands. We need to keep talking about it because when yeah. you as an American citizen forget, then you're allowing your government to continue to abuse its power and continue to give full fucking impunity to Israel. And that continues a genocide, right? So, so the, the, the American voice is even um, more crucial, more critical at this point um, than maybe ever, <laughs> you know, yeah. and people forget that. Yeah. It's like the American citizen forgets that they actually have the power and they can stand up for justice and they can say, actually, representative, um, that's a little fucked. Can you like not do that and call for a ceasefire instead? You know, with all these resolutions now, everybody, you know, all most um, legal bodies, you know, they're back in session, back in drafting up legislation and everywhere around the country, something is being written about this state stands with Israel, right? Mm -hmm. So this is definitely the time for people to remember the power they have when they voted and put these people in these offices, you put them in that office. So you can also get in touch with them and tell them, no, this is enough and it needs to stop. I'm so, so inspired by you. The fact that you and other folks in St. Louis have been taking direct action in relation to local weapons manufacturers. I mean, Boeing, especially given that they produce missiles, warheads, guidance systems, fuel for missile engines, the F-15 fighter aircraft, which is one of the main warplanes war utilized by the Israeli military, like all of this stuff local to you. So the fact that you and others there are are mobilizing in this way, in addition to, you know, um, pressuring your older people and and taking action in that way. That's incredible. It's it's so important. And these are two things that I really want to like help other people understand how they can dive into doing this work. So I don't know if there's anything any any advice that you'd want to give to others who might be interested in trying to replicate the call for a ceasefire from your city or um the Boeing action. Yeah. Yeah, we've um, we, we've been approached by at least five different cities asking us how, uh, like our strategy and how we went about uh, working with the Board of Alder People and getting the resolution passed. Wow. Um, the, the St. Louis, yeah, which is great, you know, <laughs> and so I want to make that available. Um, so the St. Louis Telephone Solidarity Committee um, we'll be putting together, so we created a toolkit for this, for here, for locally, mm -hmm. but we want to create a toolkit for other organizers around the country um, with the strategy, all the things that we did and how we went about it and, and provide that, make that available for people to um, take and adopt and, and replicate in, wow. in their own cities. Because, you know, different places are, are a little different, but yeah. um, I mean, it was, it was incredible. You know, we've never, I've never done this like anything like this before and if this was a collective effort you know um a handful of us spent a lot of time on this so we'll we'll put a report together and, and make it available if, if we've already done the work i don't want other people to have to reinvent stuff <laughs> so we'll just 
we're planning on making, you know, and on making that turning it into a resource for other people to use. Um, A key part is, is I think localizing the matter was, was really key, you know, Um, for both our older people and also our constituents, like our neighbors, they, you care about what's going on in Palestine, but maybe you're more passionate about um, our teachers getting paid more. So localizing the problem by looking at how much money is going out of our city and where else it could be used in all of these different areas, right? Education, healthcare, um, transportation, and house, food, like showing people that there's this many million dollars that could be used instead here to address this problem that you see every day on your way to work in your city, you know? So let's bring that here. Let's keep that here and and sub-funding this genocide. So localizing it is is really key um, and and also humanizing the Palestinian story. That's definitely something that I'm learning. It's, you know, people don't relate to topics and politics seems like this really scary, like, "Ah, I don't know what to do with that. Totally. Um, So humanizing what's going on is key. Um, You know, if if people don't relate to to politics, they will relate to people and Mm -hmm. stories. So like we we host these like film screenings, you know, where we show documentaries or movies about um, Palestine and Palestinian culture and resistance. Um, and we're also been trying to develop relationships with people. Like when we had a, there was a committee hearing um, a few days before the resolution passed, where people had the opportunity to um, testify. It was virtual, so it was you know virtual testimony, but. <laughs> because we've been mobilizing and, and building these relationships for an hour and a half, it was full of pro-Palestine, pro-ceasefire testimonies. You know, every person had two minutes. So for an hour and a half, two minutes, that's how many wow. people filled that. Wow. And there was only one person who was in opposition, you know, and this was a hearing too. The president of the board was there and a handful of older people were there. And one person was against the resolution. And they brought up, again, these recycled talking points they keep repeating, you know, all the the women being raped, all the children being beheaded or whatever. And all of it was debunked. And then people, (laughs) after that testimony, some of our people went on and and they pointed out, okay, that was a lie. That stuff was (laughs) debunked. Good. Uh, But I do want to like, offer the opportunity to just like if there's any calls to action what people should do after listening to this people can follow me on instagram but mm-hmm. i really suck at social media so if somebody wants to volunteer let's start collaborating and getting more people seeing your shit <laughs> yeah I keep being told that, I, you know, I need to speak more. I need to share my story because you, you won't find this on my, my page, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's something I just don't have time to do that. <laughs> but people can no, follow me there. You're at capacity. I and, <laughs> yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I am um, definitely not a social media influencer. I, I'd rather influence in person in real life. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, um, but people can yeah. follow me there. <laughs> Calls to action. I think, I think, it, I think it's important for for collaboration and and 
base building and, and building like a, a coalition of, of people and organizers. Um, mm-hmm. This is something that's got multiple pillars to it and they all need to be dismantled. And it's very easy to get overwhelmed and think, well, we got to attack, you know, or, or target this institution or that angle or that or that. There's so yeah. much that needs to be done that it can be so overwhelming, you know, and we're all responding. Yeah. This is rapid response. We're all just trying to figure out what to do, how to do it, when to do it, what, you know. And I think, I think mm-hmm. building community and coalition is, is key right now because one group can focus on one angle while the other group can focus on another angle. You know, somebody could be working inside with policy legislation. Another person could be uh, doing the disruptive work and bringing awareness to companies that manufacture weapons. Um, This is definitely like, if you haven't been doing it, do it right now where you're building these these coalitions to to go at this uh, from different angles and, and for your own sanity so you don't burn out, right? Every group yeah, can focus totally. on one thing. Um, will be more effective that way. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, our biggest focus right now is a ceasefire. So uh, organizing and mobilizing around your your elected officials to release to release a statement, to pass a resolution so we can collectively all across the country show our government, look, every city in the country is saying do this, then they can't not do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think because that's what we're right now, that's what we need. That's the urgency, right, to stop. Um, I think that needs to be the focus. Um, but after that, it's um, that's what opens the, the door to working on more policy um, toward boycotting and divestment and sanctions. Great call to action. Um, I I will add into the show notes um, a link to whatever um, guide you folks have put together, um, your committees put together about trying to push for ceasefire. Um, yeah, your your kind of toolkit that you put together as well. Um, and if there's anything else, any other future calls to action coming up, or anything else that you want me to shine light on, just hit me up anytime. I would be more than happy to. I really, really want to do that. So I am so, so touched by everything that you shared. And thank you for being vulnerable, for sharing your heart with the world, for for sharing your suffering. I mean, it. I do, and we, I know we talked about this, but I do think it is so important that people see the human side of of this struggle and they're not just seeing statistics in the news um so i appreciate you just bringing so much humanity to to this whole whole situation and to understanding what is happening right now um and for everything that you are doing to take action in this crucial fucking moment you are seriously one of the biggest badasses i've ever met and you're only 28 years old like wow (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh thank you I, I seriously can't wait to see what you do next <laughs> <laughs> thank you for um providing the space you know that's yeah we need more people to do that so thank you of course <laughs> and hopefully we can talk I'm so again hopefully... from crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my bad oh i'm sorry <laughs> really uh Ring it out of you today. <laughs> oh, 
but uh it's all right oh my gosh yeah it's okay <laughs> well uh this was so so amazing so powerful and uh, i just want to say cheers to you sarah this was so fucking amazing <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you hey everyone thank you all for tuning into this episode if you value the work that we're doing we would deeply appreciate your support this project involves a huge amount of research, networking, content creation, and editing. You can lend a hand by giving us a rating and writing a review, or you can contribute financially by signing up on Patreon. To all of our existing patrons, thank you so goddamn much. Your support makes a huge difference for this anti-capitalist project. Much love to you all. Cheers and solidarity. Mm -hmm.